You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to another episode of Can We Talk? It's your boy Eric, and I'm here with Anthony. We're missing Shayna today. Yeah, and Shayna's on leave. Happy Mother's Day to her. Yes, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, you doing anything with your, your mom? Any plans? Um, I, I am uh, doing something. Well, I took my mom to see Madea. That was her early day, early Mother's Day present. My grandmother, I think I'm meeting her and family at Outback Steakhouse. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, same. Yeah. Dinner, dinner with the fam and all that good stuff. But Madea, wait, there's another Madea out? No, 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 no. The play, remember? Oh, the play, that's right. That was okay. her early Mother's Day present. Oh. And I took her to see Endgame. So, you, when, so when you saw Madea like two weeks ago, that was her Mother's Day? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what's up, man. Man, so we got a um interesting show today. I kind of want to get into current events slightly. I'm right. just sick of the depressing news that we got all the time, man. We got we got to lighten this up a little bit, right? Any good news? Any happy news that happened over? I'm trying to think. Any good news? Yeah, happy. Yeah, anything that's that's bright, vibrant news. Something that's positive news. Something that's positive. Whether it happened personally. Uh, I can't get you something off the top, but I mean, okay. like, I know there's a documentary on Netflix. A lot of people love this woman. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know much about her or her politics, but I do uh, know that she's very popular. Uh, Alexandria Cortez. Yeah. There's yeah. a documentary about her rise to, um, so what is she on now? She on Congress or? Yeah, she's a, uh, yeah, she's an, a Congresswoman right now. Right, so it's by her rise and like like defeating the odds to get a seat on Congress, and uh, apparently it's an uplifting documentary. So that's good news. I saw that know. too, though. It's really good. We can we can discuss that a little bit later if you want to, but we can. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in terms of news that that's kind of like stuck out this week or the past couple of weeks, did you hear about the story in Texas, like the little girl who got um kidnapped? Apparently, no. Nah, what happened? All right. So it was a, a little girl was going to the airport with her stepfather. Um. The stepfather claimed that. Three men, Hispanic men, came and robbed him, knocked him out, conscious, took the little girl. Um, he wind up like five or six miles away from where he was. Um, Did he say it was a pack or he just said three Hispanic He men? just said three Hispanic men. Okay. Um, and so the little girl went, went missing. So it was the little girl, it was the stepson, and then the stepfather in the car. The little girl went missing, but the stepson and the stepfather were, were both found alive. Um, they've been searching for this little girl for like four or five days. I don't think they found her yet, but I think yesterday they arrested the stepfather under suspicion that he must have kidnapped or did something to the little girl. So that that was man, that's that's kind of scary. I'm trying to get the reasoning why, like why would someone do this? But you know, this world is crazy that we live in. So who who knows? So what's the update right now? She's just missing. She's still missing, and okay. I think they arrested the um, stepfather currently. So we don't know any more news. Okay, so that's well, my prayers go out to her. Yeah, I hope she is found. Another story out of Texas as well. I'm sure you heard about the Sandra Bland case. Yeah, yeah, I know Sandra yeah. Bland. Yeah. So they apparently released another video um, of her camera phone. So she had she was recording the, her interaction with the police officer, showing from her perspective. Right. And it shows you that she wasn't doing anything wrong. Like it was kind of an unreasonable arrest. Like they arrested her, put over for no reason. Didn't the original video show that though? The yeah, the original video did, but the officer claimed that he felt threatened. Uh, but from this this uh, recording, you can clearly see that she just had her phone recording, like, "Hey, what what are you doing? Why are you pulling me over?" So there was no threat to the officer made whatsoever. A lot of mysterious circumstances yeah. regarding her death, too, right? Yeah, yeah. So she found, for those who don't know, um, she was put over 
in Texas, I think it was around like 2015, 2016, around, a few years ago. That, yeah. Um, so she was arrested and then she was later found in her uh, jail cell hanging. So I guess she, they said she committed suicide. Uh, but there was a lot of speculation that that wasn't the case. I think some people throw some conspiracies about the police officers came in and killed her and then they hung her up to act like she was mm. and committed suicide. Um, the police officer who did arrest her wasn't charged for anything. So it's kind of just been a case that's been, you know, kind of a mystery. And a lot of people are trying to solve and figure out what really happened with Sandra Bland. So, again, that, that opens up another door in terms of, like, what really happened. Um, you know, it's always kind of those situations are tough, especially when you're dealing with police brutality. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in the black community, feel that there's this increase of just unnecessary force, um, you know, that police officers use against African-American people. And this kind of highlights that. I, I, I always wondered to myself if it will ever change because that's, that's the one thing I still have hope about because like if you don't have the police to protect you then yeah. you just have to protect yourself and that's a that's a very hard world I just don't think it will change I think that this is kind of ingrained in the system you know you can you can find great police officers there are great police officers I've interacted with who when they put you over you know they're kind polite you know obviously it's a mutual respect thing um, but there are also police officers who are just, just nasty, right? For no reason. There's a theory too. I remember um, one time Eddie Griffin was on Vlad TV. I believe mm-hmm. it was him who suggested this. He says, "Look, man, if you look at the police officers in L.A. and we're just talking about L.A., but this could like apply to anywhere. You got police officers that are on the street, on the beat, right. and they see the same thing every single day. Yeah. And some things they see that are horrible, they start to lose hope. While people are in the office, you know, they just work in the office. They work at a desk. They said there should be kind of like a like a shift change. There mm-hmm. should be a recycling between people on the street and people in the office. Like everybody yeah. switches shifts. I don't think the system is like that. If it was like that, you might see a change in behavior. Yeah, and I think there's also just the, the over-policing of minority communities. I think it's just like – Again, the crimes, the crimes that are committed between urban, suburban communities, um, yes, there may be a disparity, but there's also over, over uh, policing. So there's going to you're going to catch more people in urban areas when you have more police officers, you know, doing the you know doing the work and out there. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know urban communities are more inherent to committing crimes. No, it's just you police it more, and I think that sort of builds. It's about community building. It's about relationship building between the community and the police officers because back in the day a lot of police officers grew up in the neighborhoods you kind of knew who they were you know you're like oh there's mr johnson he's an officer you know he lives down the street i know him. um so that mutual understanding and relationship that you built that made it more easy for everyone to kind of get along and sort of understand you know where everyone's coming from but i think now you know it, you have a lot of police officers who don't live in the, the area they're coming from different places and so they are a little bit more aggressive in some cases um, but we got to we got to figure out how we're going to fix that, um, because, again, too many people are dying. You know, too much violence is happening in the community um, in terms of just this excessive force that you see. Um, and we also got to do something within our own communities as well. We got to sort of educate our citizens on um, you know, just being careful. Like there's some things that you got to do if you do get put over, like lessons you should know, like put your hands on a dashboard, you know. Um, try to stick your hands out, show your ID, you know, so stuff like that, that we got to just use as survival tactics. Yeah, there are unspoken rules. Like yeah. when, I, when I'm pulled over, I, I think I've only been pulled over once, but um, when I am pulled over, like I got both my hands on the steering wheel, yeah. volume turned down low, 
And that's not that's not because every citizen should do that. It's because I'm DWB. Right. I'm driving while black. I'm I'm aware of like, hey, I should be still in case this officer is a little jumpy. And there's nothing worse than like getting put over at night too. I don't know if that yeah, happened to you. That's the worst. Yeah, it was at night. Man, I'm like, dog, let me just turn my light on so they see what I'm doing. And it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, tell them turn the camera on, turn the body cam on. <laughs> For real, but it's you unfortunate know. you got to live like that though. It's kind of it's really sad, man. But um, it's just the times. I do have another story too. So I don't know if we were able to talk about this, but um, you know, we have a bunch of people running for the Democratic nomination for president, right? Yeah. Did you hear about Elizabeth Warren's idea of um, waiving? I think waiving half of student debt. Did you hear about that? No, but it, I mean, it sounds like a dream. Yeah. yeah like I, it sounds like that, just a dream. You know, a lot of politicians promise things. But I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be pessimistic. Go ahead. Give me the well, deets. Yeah. Well, so Elizabeth Warren came out with a policy that she hopes to enact where um, if you have over, I think, $50,000 in debt and you make, who did she say? I forgot the specific amount that you make. Like you have, you have to make a little bit less than what you owe in debt. Mm-hmm. They'll wipe out. Um, I think it says she'll wipe out up to, to $50,000. Like, so okay. it's it's a great policy in theory, right? So. Again, if she does become president or if she's nominated, who's to say it's going to happen? You know, I hate to hold out hope, like you said. I mean, look, it, it's a great promise, but I mean, that's what politics and that's what, you know, the presidential races run on promise. Yeah. You know, Trump yeah. ran on his promise like, we're going to build that wall. Right. You know, it's not o- happening. Obama ran on the promise of for a better future. Mm-hmm. Things were better for a bit. And then, you know, now we're where we're at now. Yeah. So who who would you want to? See as the Democratic nominee, and we got Joe Joe Biden, who's kind of leading right now. Listen, man, I, you know Shana's not a fan of Biden, mm. but um, at this point, I'm I'm AABT. I'm <laughs> almost anyone but Trump <laughs> at this point, bro. Like, I mean, I, I have to see who is running. I mean, right. if Biden is the only Democratic nominee, and that's against Trump, you know, I'll vote for Biden. Like, I I'll take Biden over Trump, mm. but um, it depends on who's running. You know, yeah. um. I I am a Bernie fan, but I'm kind of feeling like he he's a little too old, man. Yeah, he, even Biden's too old though. He, yeah, but I feel like 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 Bernie could be a VP. You know what I mean? Right. Elizabeth Warren, I well, sure maybe, but um, I feel like one thing when you look at people like Biden and and uh Clinton mm-hmm. and even like um George W. Bush, people don't want more of the same thing. Right. We we had Biden as a VP for eight years, so I mean. Looking at that, many people be like, well, look, we had the Obama administration and we didn't like it. So why would yeah. we take Biden? And then people bring up the Anita Hill thing. And um, I know uh, Shana talks about the, the the Crime Act or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at Hillary Clinton, we had Bill Clinton for eight years while we won another Clinton administration. People are tired of the same thing. That's yeah. that's really a small reason as to why Trump won, because he was new and fresh. I, I could definitely see that. But I think that the Democrats right now are being so reactionary, like they're afraid to put up a candidate who they think is polarizing because they think, oh, maybe people are going to vote for, you know, stay, just stay with Trump because they're afraid of the, the Democratic candidate. I'm disappointed in them because it's like it's like they were so against Bernie. They just right. pushed Clinton to the front and just right. cheated Bernie out of his win. I'm like, really? Like that? That's yeah. where the disappointment came for me. I agree. And I think people. After that happened, they just became so disheartened with the process that they were like, hey, I'm not either voting or I'm just going to vote for you know, that third party candidate just in spite. Yeah, I'm still going to vote. I mean, yeah. I do do it with a little bit of reluctance, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still going to vote. You got to. Yeah. It's just your, your civic duty. You got to vote. Uh, but that's I mean, that's it for my, my portion. Should we go to I don't know if we got the 
I don't know if you got any hip hop news since Shane is uh, not any here. Any hip hop news? Um, you know what? For the first time, you know, you know me, man. With popular songs, if I don't know the artist, I kind of like just stay away. Mm-hmm. But I finally heard "Old Town Road," bro. It's catchy, man. It's so catchy. That's man. the catchiest song. I swear. I'm so mad that they they didn't classify it as country. Although you it's, know what that is, man. That's, we, it's a little bit of prejudice there. You know what yeah. that is. Although I mean, although you listen to country now, it kind of uses some of the same like trap beats in right. it anyway. So it's like, come on, where's the line? It's all relative. And uh, I like what Lil Nas X did. Shout out to mm-hmm. Billy Ray Cyrus giving him a shout out. Like, hey yeah. man, this is country. Yeah, you know, and, sh- and hopping on the remix. I like the song, man. It's catchy. Yeah, but I saw that they gave. Um, Outside of Billy Ray Cyrus' house, they put a, a little billboard in front of his house saying, oh, congrats on the, the top billboard hit without acknowledging Little Nas X. Yeah, yeah. That's disrespectful to me, man. Again. Can't do that. We know what that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like when Beyonce performed with the Dixie Chicks at the CMA Awards. Yeah. It was all kind of like, oh, why bring her up there? She ruined the show. We know what that is, man. Yeah, country do. don't want to accept us, even though we birth country. Right. Country but that's what it is. Yeah, but but you know what? I got to give Lil Nas X his credit. He, oh yeah, he took advantage of this time we're living in now, where you know people love those the social media, you know, hits and stuff. Um, and that kind of grew out of that. Like I was just listening to it on, I saw it on Twitter or something, and I'm like, oh, this is a nice little you know two minute song that someone created, and then all of a sudden this thing is on the top of the charts. Like that, that's nuts. Yeah, that's I'm happy for him. It. I'm 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 I want to see what he does next. I hope mm-hmm. he's not a one hit wonder. I hope he I hope he keeps going. Should he change his name though? Is that disrespecting Nas? That's the thing. I mean, what, is his name really Nasir? Like, what's his real name? Uh, we can look it up real quick. I mean, I don't think he should change his name, you know, because it's not in disrespect to Nas. I mean, he said a little Nas X. I mean, like, yeah. maybe he just looks up to Nas like that. His name is Montero Lamar Hill. <laughs> he, he 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 thinks he's thinking of changing it because Nas, like in his words, you know, he says mm-hmm. Nas is a legend. I'm thinking of changing it, but mm-hmm. I'm all right with it. Okay. You know what I think Nas was a revolutionary. You know what I right. mean? He made music. He made Illmatic when he was young. Lil Nas X made this when he was young. So yeah, and it's not like he's biting Nas flows. Not like he's you know stepping into his lane. Right. He just. I mean, he's paying homage to I think a guy he he appreciates in in uh, the music industry. So yeah, I don't have a problem with it either. Okay. Um. So before we get into like our little dedication to a legend, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Endgame. Okay. So you saw it a second time. I'm, I'm yeah. going to let you go. Did you notice anything different? After watching it the second time. Anything that was cleared up? I mean, I got the whole tra- time travel part a lot better. Mm-hmm. I was able to sort of understand, like, um, sort of how there's, when they went back in time, it created different pathways, like different universes. It didn't change anything that's currently occurring. Right. It just sort of created its own separate spinoff, right? And I think that um, looking at it that way, made it more i guess understandable in a sense um i mean i was just as emotional the second time watching it especially the end i was like man this is still this still got me shook um somebody behind me was crying it was some people yeah some people up there crying <laughs> yeah so what, what did you think i kind of want to hear what you what you say so seeing it a second time yeah. um it did clear up some things to me plot wise because mm-hmm. i i still feel the same way it's a great movie yeah but uh with gamora remember when we talked about oh she wasn't on the ship um, I remember Star Lord was looking on the oh, board like missing. missing. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm I'm guessing that Guardians Three might be them trying to find her. Mm. So that's what made me think. I feel like during the battle, she probably dipped out. Like, well, they fighting them, so I'm gone. Yeah. Because I hope she wasn't caught in the snap. They would have showed. What, they would have showed that. That's what I thought initially. Like, was she caught in there? Like, why did she just sort of? They didn't show her at all. They would have showed her, but uh, they would have showed her in the snap. I mean, so yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Guardians Three is going to be about. 
Um, that was oh yeah. So you've seen Batman versus Superman? Yeah. Okay, so I got I got to get on my um I got to get on my podium for a second. <laughs> so remember when everybody clown that scene when um uh Superman uh Batman is about to kill Superman. Superman's oh. like, "Martha." Yeah, yeah, I remember and that. Batman's like, "How you know that name?" <laughs> yeah. Dog. Endgame had a Batman versus Superman moment, bro. So like Man. old Captain America was fighting new Captain America. Uh-huh. Old Captain America had new Captain America in the chokehold. All of a yeah. sudden, he's alive <laughs> wait what he stopped right. why did you say that and then all of a sudden you know he knocked him out and stuff like yeah. they had a batman versus superman yeah, that's moment, true bro. i didn't think about that and a little uh the little uh pocket watch with his uh fiance's a uh, picture popped out and that was kind of the same thing too yeah 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 man but that, yeah it was a great movie scene like even the second watch i'm like you know this is this is still good the end battle was still epic yes. you know, people were still clapping their hands it was good so you were talking about the um that Netflix show you saw, the movie with Bringing Alexandria. Bringing Down the House? Yeah. So what did you think? What were your first thoughts and impressions? No, I didn't see it. I oh, heard it was good. Oh, you, yeah, you definitely got to see it. I, I I enjoyed it. It was good seeing sort of how she came out of nowhere. Kind of she's going up against this guy who's a career politician, Um, you know, just to, just to stun him, right, in a, in a way where you saw people, they wanted that change. Um, And so, yeah, you know the story. We know she got elected to Congress. And, yeah. All that good stuff. That but, was pretty dope when I saw that on MSN News when she first won. I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. Yeah, it is, man. It's good to see. And she's young, too. She's, like, maybe a year older than me. So that's kind of cool to see, like, someone, you know, even in her 20s who and were she, able to. She holds on to her guns, too. Oh, yeah. And yeah, she, she's definitely about. Um, she, she, she does a great job of doing her research, being willing to call out people on the BS they, they uh, talk about. Um, like you said, she she will definitely be out there aggressive. And we'll call you out. So that's that's great to have. Um, anything else that I see that I've seen recently, um, dude? I finally finished Samurai Jack. Oh man, I haven't seen it. You never watched that I show? Never watched it. No, was it Cartoon Network? Or? Yeah, it was Cartoon Network. It, it ran for four seasons initially, uh, mm-hmm. back when we were younger, and then it came back for one last season three years ago. And that last season is just uh, excellent. But I finished the whole thing, and it was it was tremendous. I gotta check that out, man. I've never had the opportunity to see. It. Whoa. Like when I was younger, I thought it was boring. But yeah. now, in my older age, I'm like, you know what? This show is cold. You know, I honestly never really watched Cartoon Network like that. I was never a fan. I don't know, just personally. I feel like back in the day, Nickelodeon killed it with the cartoons. Yeah. And I don't want to digress too much, but you know, they had the uh, they had the Invader Zim, mm-hmm. they had the SpongeBob, they had the uh, Avatar. And nowadays, Cartoon Network has the regular show, Adventure Time, Steven yeah. Universe. Cartoon Network took that torch back. Yeah. Um, I guess we can. I don't know if I, I haven't seen anything else. Oh, I do want to talk about the movie Ma. I want to, I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Oh, yeah. The one Octavia Spencer. You know what, man? I think that might be good. You know, um, her and Tate Taylor have worked before uh, on yeah. The Help. Yeah. And, you know, The Help is a good movie. Tate Taylor made um, the film with James Brown, where Chadwick mm-hmm. Bowman was playing, Bozeman was playing James Brown. Mm-hmm. Get on up. Yeah. Yep. He made that movie, too. So I, I got faith in this one. It looks a little strange. It does. But again, the trailers don't really tell you much. I mean, it's it's tell- a good thing, right? Because I'm sure it goes a little bit deeper than what we should see on the trailers. Um, but you know, Bloomhouse Productions, man, they they killing it. Yeah. So I, I have I have faith. I think Octavia would do a great maniacal job. Mm. Um, another thing I'm really looking forward to, bro, is Child's Play. Oh yeah, man. Oh my God, it has everyone from uh, most most of them from Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah. You got Arby Plaza. 
You got freaking Luke Skywalker voicing Chucky. <laughs> and he nice. voices the Joker in the Batman animated series, so you know he's going to do a great job. Because I didn't though. think they could pass the torch from Brad Dorf, but he seems like a good replacement. Man, that's like a childhood horror film that just haunts me, man. I remember I had a, a dream as a kid that the little Chucky doll was chasing me through my house. <laughs> and then just I, like, I thought Chucky was funny. Like, he is I, funny. I, I thought he was a funny villain. But this one looks good because it gives more of like a new science fiction take on it. Like, yeah. you know, like there's like this computer generated doll made to life, but something's wrong within the system. Mm. You know, I'm excited for that. I'm, have you seen uh, Rami? Rami. It's a it's, I've heard of it. it sounds it's a Hulu like, Hulu series. I've heard of it. It sounds funny. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen the first maybe four or five episodes. It's pretty good. Like being able to see, you know, sort of the coming of age story of, of a Muslim American. Um, you don't really get to see that often. Right? Yeah, you usually yeah, get yeah. to see the stories of, you know, traditional characters, either black, white, um, but rarely someone who's Muslim or Middle Eastern. So it was nice kind of seeing some of the cultural things they threw in there, um, seeing the perspective of what his life was like around like 9-11. It touches on like, Oh, wow. That seems like that might be deep. Yeah. So, like, different episodes touch on different topics. So, you may have episodes that just like a flashback to his childhood. There's an episode where it's talking about, you know, um, like him navigating his culture in terms of like dealing with relationships and sex, you know, right. getting some hardening topics. It's really good. It's just a great way of looking at the cultural perspective from a way that you're not kind of used to. Yeah. It's not mainstream. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you know that The Shy is back on TV? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, the second season is on TV. When did it start? I don't know when it started, but it's been on for about, like, I want to say three or four episodes now. I, like I, I am going to get back into it, but yeah. It's, it's been kind of quiet, though. I feel like not, not a lot of people talked about it recently. I did see advertisements on Facebook, yeah. but other than that, no, I didn't see many advertisements. But it is back on TV. Man, I tell you, that's one of the few shows where I actually – pay for a subscription subscription to showtime yeah and um i did the free trial so i had to watch it all within like seven days but solid, it was worth it's it a solid show it was worth it for sure like i know people compare it to the wire but it's it's different i mean it's its own like it's just like a it's just like a simple show about life in the shy yeah it can get a little violent it can get a little, little little rowdy but it's pretty much like a simple show yeah you know and i mean that in a good way it's good um the show that Shayna loves to hate is heading into its final season which one you know the show that, you know, everybody loves. Not everybody, but, you know, most people on social media love Power. Oh, oh man, I can't deal with Power. It's heading into the final chapter. You know what, man? I started with the first season. I kind of drifted off. But I, hmm. people tell me get into season two because that's when it leaps up. I might hop back into it one day. I, I, oh, I, I'll no. never say never. For me, Power is just like a, a raunchier version of, like, Empire a little bit. Yeah, they're two different shows. I know one deals with Empire deals with you know a few family who owns a um, record label, yes, but it, it kind of still has like the same feel a little bit. You got this head guy who's you know. I know people have made comparisons, but they're just two different shows. I've yes. seen both. Like Power is about like drug dealing and power, mm-hmm. and you know underground New York. Like Empire is about family and music. It's basically Dallas with hip hop. Yeah. yeah, you know what yeah, I mean for sure. Yeah, but that's all I saw recently, man. Um, I'm just excited to check out some more stuff. Um, let's I guess let's move on to the the main topic. I think we spent enough time. Yeah. You know, we gotta gotta you know. Yeah. We gotta take take one back. We gotta give yeah. a shout out, thirty yeah. minute shout out to a legend, a legend, a myth, 
the man. You gonna do the eulogy, man? You wanna go ahead and let me do a eulogy, man. Yeah. You know, this guy right here, like as a as a personal storyteller, this man influenced me. You know, even when I was younger to now, mm. um, to see his career like like kind of go on hiatus for a while and then rebirth himself with an FX series, a mm. BET series, you know, producing deals. Like this man, he really had a great second act yeah. that lived up to his tremendous first act. Yeah. The man, when it comes to like black Hollywood, just Hollywood in general, the man is a pioneer. You know, he deserves to be up there with the with the names of Spike Lee. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, the Jordan Peels now, the Ryan Coogler's now. I'm sure they all took notes from him. Yo, we got to give it out to John hey. Singleton, man. Hey, rest in peace. Man. So with that being said, should we just go through his... his uh, some, Let's just go down the line. Go down a lot of his movies. First off, I got to say, he start, he, he his first movie, Boys in the Hood, he was, what, 23? I believe he was 23. 23 he, years he, old. He was young. This man was 23 years old, right? He was, again, at 23, I'm thinking, like, what, what was I doing at 23? Nothing good. Nothing is well, extraordinary. Hollywood was different back then. He was offering something that hadn't been done before, a hood movie yeah. that wasn't silly. Right. You and know, he was 24, the first African-American youngest person to ever been nominated for Best Director. Wow. And it's just, you know, it was just for one of the most, you know, influential films of all time. Jeez. Boys in the hood. Seriously, man, just like the the social commentary on just living in and in, in trying to survive in a, in a hood, like in places where very similar to where I grew up growing up, um, but to be able to tell in a way that's unique, that's I mean has has sense of of I mean there are some fu- funny moments, right? Yeah, there are funny moments, but it's it's serious. It's it's like a serious portrayal of what the what life is like. In uh in in the hood, and it's just one of those things where I was I was a little bit older when I first saw it. Like I was probably like seven or eight. It came out in ninety one, so I was a, a one year old in ninety one. But uh, when I was able to actually see it, close to around eight nine, um, yeah. even then I'm like, wow, this is actually a movie that's similar to like where I'm growing up, right? It's, it's similar to my lived experience, and that was that was kind of awesome to see back then. Yeah, that was one of the few radar movies where my mom my mom didn't let me watch them, but when she did, I guess, catch me watching it, mm-hmm. she was hesitant to stop me because the movie does have lessons in it. Yeah, because Lawrence Fishburne threw some nuggets out there about gentrification. Yeah. And about black gentrification, businesses. Gentrification, like safe sex. Yeah. You know, uh, being a man. Because, you know, that's what that's the main frame through which the movie is told. Uh, right. Trey goes to live with his father in South Central because uh, his mother, Angela Bassett. You know, and I believe they're more they're more like did he more, did he live like in a middle class neighborhood with Angela Bassett? I think so. Yeah, he was just like he got into some trouble as, a, as uh, with his teacher or something like that. Yeah, like got in trouble as a kid. So yeah. his mom said, "Look, you're gonna stay with your dad for a while because I can't teach you how to be a man." Mm. And that's from where the film starts from childhood to adulthood. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's just a well told film, and it's just a great film. Like the acting all around. Seriously. You know, you had the rise of Ice Cube as a dramatic actor. Uh, you had Angela Bassett, you had Lawrence Fishburne, Morris Chestnut, and one yeah. of the saddest deaths of all time. Man, you Still know, gets me. it's amazing. Yeah, man, the whole critique of you know maleness and blackness. Cuba Gooding Jr. How can I forget him? Oh yeah, yeah, Coop, yeah. Like yeah. It, it critiques sort of this idea of being a black black male, you know, in society a little bit as well. Um, you know, the challenges that we have to deal with, just sort of 
dealing with the complexities of our environment, but also doing trying to be strong in that process, right? And he had that scene where he broke down. You know, he just started swinging at the air. You know, that was one of those uh, pretty powerful scene. Man. Yeah, it's iconic. It's like, man, this guy who on the outside who tried to portray himself as being this this strong, you know, figure. He had this sense of vulnerability in that moment, right? Yeah, and you know. Oh, in addition to that, you know, you got Neil Long yeah. in it too. But um, I want to say so, like, it's kind of like almost. Is is it almost like the reverse? Well, not is it almost like kind of like 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 the alternate gentrification when you had the mm-hmm. liquor stores popping up on every corner? Because yeah. I remember that scene where um, Cuba Jun- Cuba Gooden Jr.'s um uh, father was talking about that. Like you know, mm-hmm. they putting these liquor stores on every corner. Yeah. They're killing us. Yeah. And that's something that's even prevalent today. I mean, today it was kind of different. We got the marijuana stores on every corner, yeah. dispensaries. But that was a, it was like that in Detroit for a while. And I'm like, sure. man, L.A. is kind of like Detroit when I looked at that scene. Like, because we got liquor stores on every corner. Yep. And the fact that there were just this lack of black-owned businesses as well. So you got people coming in from outside the neighborhood. Right. Creating these businesses that are poisoning the community. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's a lot of social commentary that is still relevant to today. You know, we're still dealing with the same issues. Um, but again, it was the first portrayal of the hood in this light. Right. You got, you got, I got introduced to like, you got, in, like on the outside looking in to South Central, you got introduced to like gang culture. Mm-hmm. You got introduced to like in the, even at the end of the film, it's, it's like, it has like increased the peace. I think it's the slogan of the film yeah. at the end. And that's standing up for something. You know, that to me is like similar to the ending of Do the Right Thing where you got Malcolm X and Martin Luther King's coach side by side or like mm-hmm. one after the other. You know, like, hey, increase the peace. That's pretty much yeah. what this film is saying to you. Yeah, man. Another great film was Poetic Justice. First yeah. off, I love the fact that John was able to take these these rappers or these these singers and these artists outside of, um, you know, the acting realm. Right. And turn them into great talent. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Ice Cube, no one knew Ice Cube could, could act, and he did a solid job, you know. In, in um, Boys to Hood, I think he was in a film before this called The Glass Castle. I could be wrong. I think The mm-hmm. Glass Castle might have been afterwards, but that was yeah. like another dramatic role for him. But yeah, you're right, and I know, man. I know Tupac. I think he was in some movies prior to this one. I think he was in Gridlock, just, wasn't he? Or was Gridlock so. after? I don't know if it was Above before. the Rim. One of them was before this. Yeah, but still, um, you know, you had your boy um, Tupac, you had Janet Jackson. And this sort of love story, uh, this, mo- this modern tale, this black love story to an extent. It uh, really is an uncompromising film because mm-hmm. like, 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 cause if you look at the dialogue, if you're reading the script, you know, every other word is fuck. <laughs> like they really are swearing like a lot in that movie, but it's mm-hmm. not without, it's not without context. It's not without purpose. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that was kind of like the dialect of that time and in that place that John Singleton was trying, that, that was making. Yeah. And plus you got the poems by Maya Angelou throughout the film. That, you know, Miss Justice, you know, writes and, and narrates throughout the movie, which kind of separates it from like any other movie at that time. You got mm-hmm. Regina King. You got Joy Tory. Um, it's a great hood love story. Right. Yeah. Her overcoming the, the loss. I think her boyfriend got killed. Yeah. Q-Tip, who played her boyfriend. He got shot in the beginning. Yep. And then her trying to pull herself together in terms of like they had a kid. Um, did they have wait? I'm trying to remember. But I know she was dealing with sort of. Getting- it wasn't about having a kid. It was about um, no. She was putting herself together because she felt grief after him right. after he getting killed. And uh, the thing with Lucky was Lucky had to. Lucky was still living with his mother. That's Tupac's character. Yeah. And he was just like you know <laughs> learning how to be a man and then coping with his cousin's death, which is revealed in the end. Because mm. that's what the whole trip was for, going to see his cousin. 
and then just learning to accept love with justice and accept a new a new day. Mm. Yeah, that was a good one, man. I just love the iconic, um, you know, postal <laughs> postal service truck that they were. Oh yeah, yeah, driving yeah. around in. That was a good one. Let's see what's another one. Um, but I love I love the opening though at the drive in, like oh, like yeah. like um, even before <clears throat> the shooting, but like how like they got that film up, and you could tell this this is, this is like John Singleton satirizing like modern love films at the time. Yeah, they had that film with Billy Zane and that woman, and they were like. They were like having like these uh, cliche dialogue and stuff, like like mm-hmm. one of those femme fatale films. That was pretty funny. The next one is I want to touch on ooh, higher learning. Higher learning is very good. higher learning is a good one, man. That's the film. Like I feel like a lot of films have like copied that nowadays. Talking mm-hmm. about like you know black people in college and stuff yeah. like that. But that was like the first of its kind a little bit. Yeah, had Omar Epps. Um, Michael Rappaport, uh, Tyra Banks, Tyra Banks, uh, uh, Michelle, Jennifer Connelly is her name. Yep, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne again, again uh, right. with the with the African dialect, I believe. Yep. Ice Cube, yeah, so Busta Rhymes. So it was essentially um, this athlete. He was a uh, was a track and field star. Yeah, trying to navigate this college life. You know, dealing with just sort of fitting in, belonging, um, trying to figure out his 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 identity within that space. And then you also had the rise of these hate groups on campus um, mm-hmm. and sort of dealing with racial issues like that racial tension. And again, you kind of still see this stuff today. So it's kind of like even like 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, when he wrote this, uh, directed this movie, these things are still relevant. It is. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the iconic scene where Michael Rappaport character was just sniping people, you know, it was on top of the, the bell tower. Um, man, that was the, that was a deep movie. You could look at that like. It back in the day saying, "Oh, this is this is exaggerating. This is over the top." But mm. looking at looking back on it today, it's not over the top. That film yeah. dealt with a lot. It dealt with identity. It Seriously. dealt with racism. It dealt with you know gender politics. One of them, when uh, Jennifer Connelly's character, she didn't know if she was gay or not. Right. It dealt with a lot in one movie. And did she get raped in that, or she she was dealing with some type of situation where she was sexually assaulted, or I don't remember. I think so. <clears throat> um, I don't. I don't remember actually. Yeah, but the the crazy part is like you saw the black group and the white group both dealing with who they are, their identities, you know, yeah, their she, belonging. She was raped. Yeah, it's both dealing with their belonging in this space, right, in this world, on this campus. Each is taking it in different. Well, well, both again, both they were both different groups, black and white, but they're both sort of looking at identity from the same perspective in terms of like, hey, I'm about to, you know, I'm fighting for mine. I'm gonna fight for my own. I'm using this opportunity to sort of. You know, rally the troops, whether you're black, whether you're white, and kind of just you not use violence as a tactic. Well, they did, yeah, because they had that one scene where they, they came and fought in the cafeteria. Yeah, 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 the slow motion scene. Yeah, um, but again, just looking at identity from from different perspectives, and like they both are trying to carve out their space in this in this uh, on this campus and in the world, uh, and they're both kind of using violence to do so in a way. This movie. Um a big theme in the film also was knowledge. Mm. You know, the film is called Higher Learning. Right. But there's a scene, it's a great scene with Omar Epps and Ice Cube, where Omar's talking to Ice Cube like, man, you got all these books here. Like, is this off a show? You ever read these? Mm. He says, yeah. Like, have you read them? He says, nah, I probably would just have them in my room for like cloud <laughs> or something. I forgot the exact dialogue, yeah. but Ice Cube was like, well, you should read this book right here. And I forgot which book he gave him. I don't know if it was Miseducation of the Negro, but mm. he gave him a pretty like important book. And, um, and then I remember at the end, during the end credits, after Lawrence Fishburne has his talk with um, Omar Epps, you know, trying to, you know, about everything that's happened, there it has the word 
on the on the screen saying unlearn. Mm. You know, like like rethink what you know yeah. in this world. Because when you go to college, when you and I went to MSU, I don't know how it was for you, but for mm. me, MSU changed my whole world of thinking. Right. Mostly because I was around a lot of people that weren't like me. I was around a lot of white people, mm-hmm. you know, and I had gained a worldview of how everybody thinks. I had gained a worldview about how people of the LGBTQ community thinks right. and how they have to interact in the world. It gave me like a worldview of everything and not just like my insular community from Eight Mile and Lasser. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a there's a great um, theorist. His name is uh, Paolo Freire, and he has this book mm-hmm. called The Pedagogy of the Press. Right. And they say that. In order for oppressed oppress groups to sort of uh, get themselves out of a situation, they have to unlearn, right? It's, it's, a, it's a point of unlearning the systems of oppression that are taught within school, right, within, you know, everyday society. So I think that's kind of what it was touching on, this ability to, you know, use this as an – use your knowledge that you have um, to sort of uh, try to get yourself out of this, out of the situation. So um, when he gave him that book, I think it was The Miseducation of the Negro – is using that as like a counter narrative to what's being taught in the school system that kind of keeps you oppressed. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely, that was a critical piece. And I think that the professor too, played by uh, Lawrence Fishburne was also that balancing force for him. I think that it kept him grounded, kept him sort of looking at, all right, how can I make the best out of this opportunity? How can I help myself unlearn uh, these aspects of oppression that have been instilled within me? you know, as a black man on the college campus. And it was just a great movie overall. Um, and, and John, he did a great job with just, in all of his movies, having that deeper connection to social issues, which I like. Everything was saying something, like, like, like so so far as we're going, everything is saying something. Boys yeah. in Hood is talking about the hood. Mm-hmm. Poetic Justice is talking about grief. Yeah. And, you know, moving through grief, higher learning is talking about just identity yeah. and, like, what we know of the world and trying to challenge that. So his films, like, every, everything had a meaning. Yeah. So now we go back to the old times, the Adam Bellum era. Mm-hmm. I never saw this film, but I've heard great things. Rosewood. Yeah, I didn't. I've I've seen it, but the last time I saw it, I was pretty young. Yeah, I was pretty young. It was, it was years ago. It is a classic. I know a lot of people call it a classic. Uh, John Voight and Ving Rhames. They um, it's in night. Oh, it's not even in slavery times. It's in nineteen twenty three. Uh, still bad times for us, but right. not not the slave era. My bad, y'all. But it is back in the day. It revolves around the Rosewood Massacre in Florida. Mm. Yeah, I definitely got to go and watch that again. Yeah, I was a little too young when I was, uh, you know, the last time I seen it. What else? Let's see. He executive produced Woo with um, Jada Pickett and uh, Jada Pickett Smith and Tommy Davidson. You remember that movie? I don't remember that one. It was like a cult comedy. It was it was pretty funny, man. Um, so basically, Tommy Davidson, like he 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 spends a night on the town with this woman. Name Wu, played by Jada Pickett Smith, and they mm-hmm. just run into all bits of trouble throughout the night. It's a comedy, but it's it, it, it's pretty funny. You know, okay. you got LL Cool J in it, Dave Chappelle, Dwayne Martin, uh, Paula J. Parker, Foxy mm-hmm. Brown. It's a pretty funny movie. Okay. Didn't he do Baby Boy as well? Oh, okay. but before we get into before we get into that movie, yeah. let's talk about Shaft. Oh yeah, Samuel Jackson. <laughs> that was a dope remake. It was. That was a very dope remake, that, yeah. man. And they're doing another remake too, just FYI. Yeah, they are. They are. That one looks more on the comedy side. This mm-hmm. one was more dramatic and serious because, yeah. again, this one dealt with, you know, racism, yeah. you know, and it, it dealt with bringing back this legendary black exploitation character into like the 2000s. Yeah. You know, we got Samuel Jackson in the titular role. Yeah. Is, is that the right word? Titular? I don't T- know. Yeah. 
And uh, then we got a uh, we got Christian Bale. We got a young Christian Bale, Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah, we got just got a great cast. Witcher Roundtree came back too. Man, that was a great cast, You're right? And Sam Jackson, man, he's one of my favorite actors. He just just the way that he, he is. Right? He 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 had that role down packed. He had the shaft roll down packed. <laughs> Like the swag and everything. That that really was a great remake. I just love that he yells at everything though. That's that's my favorite part. Um so now should we get into baby boy? Yeah, let's get into baby yeah, boy. Man. This film right here, man. man. Like this film teaches you a lot of lessons, but the one lesson really? it taught me is I don't want to be in the nest forever. <laughs> right. I gotta move out at the right time when I'm a man. Yeah, what was the <laughs> opening scene where he's like in the womb? That's so, that's one of the great greatest yeah. opening scenes ever, dog. He's in the room and he's giving like different turns for different things in his life. His woman, his mm-hmm. his, his his mom, his homeboy. Mm. It's just that's just a great opening scene because he never left the nest. Yeah. He's a baby boy. You know the crazy thing, and, and you see this a lot in the hood too. I feel like mothers, especially single mothers, treat their sons like their husbands, right? They almost yeah. give them that much power, right? That much control. Definitely. Um you could see like that. He, she, the mother was intentionally once she met her boyfriend, which was played by um, Ving Rames, one of his best roles. That was her sort of cutting that that tether, right? Cutting that umbilical cord, right? And like, hey, you need to go ahead and be a man. You need to do what you got to do. Like, think about it. he had kids already. He was, you know, this, a grown man. This film gave another term to the to the phrase "babies having babies" yeah. because this is a grown man. But he's living at home with his mama, still waiting mm-hmm. on his mama to cook him dinner and stuff like that, and got mm-hmm. like two women to have his babies. You're a baby having babies. It's crazy. So Jody is a is he's a he's a specific case, but he is a, Jody's living the hood. Mm-hmm. Jody's live with their mamas and their yeah. daddies, and they haven't out here having babies that haven't moved out the nest. There are Jodies yeah. in the hood. And then it's looking at the cyclical thing. Like now, um, now Jody's baby moms they doing the same thing to their kids that. His mom did to him. It's just creating a cycle of of just almost like oppressing these 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 boys, right? One thing you notice too, Taraji P Henson, who plays uh, one of Jody's um, baby mothers, and basically his main love interest, because the other baby mother doesn't love him, right. which he finds later on, is that you always see her sucking her thumb at times because uh, she's kind of a baby too, you yeah. know. And I feel like that was like a great great artistic decision maybe on Taraji's part or on yeah. Singleton's part where she's see, you see her sucking her thumb at certain points. Yeah. 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 Think about that. And so they, they both need to grow up, you know, because right. she's still with this guy who's, who's periodically abusive to her. Not as much, but sometimes mm-hmm. there were abusive moments between, between Jody and Yvonne, Yvette. Mm-hmm. And so they both need to grow up. He needed to, you know, be a man and stop hitting her. And she needed mm-hmm. to grow up and say, Hey, you hit me one more time. I'm going to leave. And this time I'm going to mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a sense of like toxic toxicness about what love is. Yeah. Like I think that um from Jody's perspective, he saw love as someone who's who's th- gonna be there to cook for you, clean for you, you know, support you in that aspect. Um, what's the name of Vet? She looked at love as just if the man's in her life, she's gonna love him because she you know, she didn't have that for her own in her right. own life growing up. Then you had uh, Snoop Dogg as the villain. Right. Um he was pretty good. And Omar Gooden killed it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Omar Omar's he killed a beast. it as the um as the best friend. Cause there's like a pivotal moment in that film where um they, they roll up on these little like wannabe thugs mm-hmm. and they like you know, they whip them with the belt or whatever. <laughs> right. And then like Jody is like having like a moment at the end when he when he when uh Omar is whooping the last kid and um, it's just it's just kind of like a symbolic moment because, you know, mm-hmm. Jody always has thoughts of being killed in the hood. Right. And plus, you're whipping a little kid that needs to be whooped. And Jody, in a way, needs to be whooped because right. he's kind of a kid. 
It's true. That like, movie is deep, man. That is true. Like when you think about it, it's almost it's symbolic of the lack of a fi- father figure, right? Right. How that usually when you do something bad, the father's there to sort of correct you, you know, check you. And then Jody's like, dang, I never actually had someone to, you know, in my life that, that checked me like this. Right. And then the fight, the big fight with Ving Rames, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there there was that fight too where Jody got whooped for real. Man, that was deep. That's way when you just talk about it, you look at all the ways like this is touching on guns and butter. Like, 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 who who doesn't quote that to this day? Guns and butter. That's all life is about. It's crazy though, man. But it's a, that's a solid, solid, low key, solid, solidly good movie. Like, I don't think people really give it the the benefit um, of being a great movie. But when you think about it, the messages within that are way, way deeper than what you right. kind of imagine. And again, we still with James Singleton's uh, filmography, we're still saying something here. You got to yeah. grow up. You got to be a man. Whether you're in the hood or the suburbs, you have to be a man. Yeah. And you notice most of his movies took place in L.A. They did. Except for Four Brothers. Four yeah. Brothers was in Detroit. And there's another one here. I don't know if this took place in L.A. I mean, it was directed by him. We got to give a shout out to it. Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, yeah. You got to. That's probably one of the better Fast and Furious movies. Very good sequel. Yeah. You know, it introduced Tyrese's uh, Roman Pierce to the uh, to the series. Him and Paul Walker had a great repertoire in that film. Great chemistry. And it showed that John Singleton knows how to do action. Yeah, for sure. Had some great action sequences, great car chases. You had Ludacris in there. Eva, Eva Mendez, fine as hell. <laughs> hey, John Singleton is really loyal to his actors, too. Think he is. Had Tyrese in what, two movies? Three movies. No, Bad Baby three, Boy. Th- three movies. Fast and Furious, yeah. Okay, so you got anything to say about Too Fast, Too Furious? Uh, I mean, it's a solid. It was, again, I think it was probably one of the better Fast and Furious movies that came out. His more uh, mainstream films too. That's one yeah. of his more mainstream ones. And I think it was a chance to sort of yeah to go out and and um get that widespread appeal. You know that for the, for the most part, leading up to that, he was mainly known within smaller circles, mainly within the black community. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was his first chance to like say go mainstream and, and let his name really be known. Um, but yeah, solid movie for sure. Okay. Now, this movie is dope, dog, because this takes place in D-Town, Four Brothers. Yes. Solid movie. This movie is very dope, man. So they're all adopted, right? Well, they're they're all adopted. Um, And um, like, like, so we got Mark Wahlberg, Tyrese Mm -hmm. Gibson, Andre Benjamin, Andre 3000, Mm -hmm. and uh, Garrett Hedlund. And they're all adopted brothers um, whose uh, sweet adopted mother uh, was shot at a – convenience store or something yeah. like that near a convenience store so they're all they all come back home to figure out what happened yeah yeah this was another one of those mainstream um movies as well because you got mark Wahlberg. mark Wahlberg, you know at the time he was selling all, all types of hits man um he was and so this is his chance this is john singleton's chance to get out there get known um you know continue to keep tyrese out there on the map as well well i uh, think i think I think Baby Boy. I want to say between Baby Boy and Too Fast, Too Furious, because Baby Boy was pretty mainstream when it was out. Mm. I remember that being at theaters. Like I feel like Baby Boy and Too Fast, Too Furious was his was his coming into the mainstream, yeah. and this right here was him like being solidified in it. Yeah. Although with Four Brothers, I don't know if all of it was shot in Detroit. Some of the scenes, I'm like, eh. Yeah, it might not have all been shot in Detroit. Some look like Detroit, but it's basically uh, again they were trying to find the person who killed their their uh, adoptive mother. Um. It was a great action film. I love that little scene on the ice. You know, real, that was ice a great scene. scene. And Chitwell um, Ijofor was the villain in this movie. Oh, for real? Yeah, he was. Oh, like, that's right. 
Yeah, and yeah, you had uh, Sofia Vergara as Tyrese's girlfriend. You had Terrence Howard. You had Taraji P. Henson. Wow. The great Finola Flanagan as the as the adopted mother. Uh, it's a great movie. Solid. Let's see what other. Let's see another one. Hold on. We gotta get some more of his current, his most recent stuff. Let's see. So uh, before we get into that, let's talk about stuff he executive produced, like like uh, two hits right here: Hustle and Flow. Oh man, great film. Man. Black Snake Moan. Oh, that's a good one too. Both made by the great Craig Brewer, and he also produced uh, Illegal Tender. I, don't I, did know if you remember. See, I did not see Illegal Tender. I don't know if you remember that movie. That was like a that was like a Latina crime film. It was pretty good though. It was pretty solid. Man, Hustle and Flow is that movie, man. I it is. <laughs> like whoop that trip. Yeah. Nah. And he John Singleton also directed a movie. Um I look at this as like this was like a mainstream job of his and it was cool. He directed Abduction mm-hmm. with Taylor Launter. You remember that one? Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. I never saw that one, did you? I mean, I'm I, vaguely like it was one of those movies I, I saw like in passing, but never really, you know, thought much of it. Yeah. Uh, All right. So the now we get now we get to the current stuff here. Yeah. And uh, like I said, man, this is what I mean by that that comeback. You know, um, I know he directed a few episode uh, episode of Empire, episode of American Crime Story, but what he became known for was like the BET series Rebel and Snowfall mm-hmm. on FX. Now I hear a lot of good things about Snowfall. I haven't seen it yet, though. Me neither. I haven't seen it, but I think it's similar to what is just like a. Um, I think it was just a kid who's selling selling drugs. It's sort so, of just yeah. It's set in the eighties of when the crack era first began, right? You know, so it do, it deals with that. Yeah, and I know it was just he was in the, growing up in the hood, you know, trying to find make make a little bit of money, right. and he came into, um, I think, crack cocaine, started selling that. But I heard it's amazing. I heard it's a really good movie or a TV show. Yeah. Haven't had the opportunity to see it, though. I think it's on season two or season three. I, it is on season three. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take a look at that. See if it has it on. Uh, I'm sure it's on Netflix or somewhere. I'll find it. Let's see. He yeah. also directed a movie. I guess it was a documentary. 30 for 30. Uh, dealing with Marion Jones. Yeah. Yeah. The Marion Jones. You remember the Marion Jones scandal? I remember. Did Was she doping or something? Yeah, yeah. So she was a black athlete. Mm. I forgot what she exactly did. Um, she was track, right? Track she was track. Yeah. And uh, she had won a lot of medals, but it was revealed later on that she was doping. Mm. So it was really about her redemption story and like how like she dealt with the fallout, how she yeah. took accountability for what she did. It was a pretty solid documentary. I got to check that one out. And I love the 30 for 30 suit, man. They're always well done. Like they just, yeah, you know, get into the personal narrative of the people. Um, you know, all of them are, are interesting. Yeah, so I got to check that out. There was one he did. I didn't get to see. I want to see though. It's called Through the Lens, Through a Lens Darkly. Through a Lens Darkly. He he executive produced it. So uh, it's a documentary film. Mm. Uh, a history of black photo- photographers. It's it's, by, it's inspired by the book Reflections in Black: A History of Black Photographers, mm. eighteen forty to the present. Wow. Yeah, that looks so, pretty good. Yeah. So it says it looks like it was um, explores African Americans. Use the camera as a tool for social change, uh, from the invention of photography to the present. Yeah, that's definitely sound, that sounds interesting. I got to take a look at that, man. Um, just sort of seeing how uh, imagery was used in terms of highlighting, you know, black communities, you know, uh, black identity, right, family stuff like that. Awesome. I know you played a um, few. I thought he played a cameo role in the game. You remember that comedy, the game? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the game. He played a few cameos in that and Real Husbands of Hollywood. Oh, we can't forget one. 
he did the remember remember the times video. Yeah, remember the time video that. by Michael Jackson. He did that. Yeah. So you can't forget about that. Yeah, that was an iconic video. You had Eddie Murphy in there. Um they had the the uh, Egyptian costumes on and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. That was right. a dope a dope video. For sure. So I mean, what what can we say, man? The man, yeah. you know, he's he's a legend. Yeah. He's inspired many black filmmakers of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost all of his films were trying to say something. They all they weren't just entertaining, they were right. saying something. There was a statement to be made. There were themes to be taken from them. Right. And I think that's the most important thing you could look at too, because like you said, prior to that, a lot of the black movies were so just they weren't serious, right? It was comedy, it was just sort of like the slapstick humor. Um rarely any touch well many did, but rarely could any touch rarely could they touch on uh, the black experience in a way that again was relatable to uh, these young, you know, young black people living in in a, the hood. Um it touched on in a way that was relevant to what they're dealing with. It was unique perspective. Um you know, and it, and it talked about, you know, love, you know, death, like you said, just sort of finding a way, an identity, like these things that were rarely sort of looked at from that, that social lens. He was able to do that in a way that captivated the audience of all backgrounds, um, like like listening to people say um, on social media, like who he impacted. They came from all walks of life. They weren't just black people. And that uh-huh. kind of just showed you just how important he was, you know, to the industry. It's amazing. I mean, we lost a we lost a great one. I'm just thinking about like who's going to be that the next person. Well, we, we're starting to see it now. Like Jordan Peele, you know, guys like him are coming out. And I don't think we should think of that either. You know, yeah. like we we shouldn't think of like a next John Singleton because we both know in Hollywood there's always like one top black person. Yeah, I think the whole point of this and and what Singleton would have would have won is like it wanted to be multiple black people making it. Mm-hmm. There's multiple great white filmmakers. Why can't it be multiple black filmmakers at the same time? You know, we got the Barry Jenkins now. We got the mm-hmm. Ryan Kuglers, the Jordan Peels, um, Boots Riley with Sorry to Bother You. We want to see what he does next. You know, we, yeah. we got we got multiple of them killing it out here. And the fact that the black experience isn't just viewed from one lens, right? So right, that's exactly. Why, yeah, that's why we need more. Like, we need to see people who have gone through different things in their lives and are able to reflect that through the work that they do. Um, and, I mean, the great things that I think now – you know, and even looking at the de- the death of Nipsey Hussle to the death of John Singleton, these are people who have impacted the lives of just everyday people, right? Everyday, right. everyday citizens, and have paid and, homage and tried to pay homage to the hood, too. right? Yeah, they try to lift up the community, and just right. through the messages, even though again, it may have not worked, it may have fallen on deaf ears, mm-hmm. but being able to talk about you know why gentrification in, in the hood is bad, or or talk right. about you know, why we need to have more black owned businesses or the importance of establishing a, a strong black identity. Just having those things discussed in movies is, is, is key. Like it's going to change someone's life, right? It may not change everybody's, but that can sort of build that next great John Singleton, that next great Ryan Coogler. Um, so that's, that's why it's important. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, it's, yeah, I appreciate all the work that he's done. You know, his life has definitely. definitely, uh, you know, has not been in vain at all. Right. Yeah. All right, man. We miss you. Um, it's been another episode. Episode of Can We Talk? Uh, please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, you got anything else you want to add? That's all for me. Happy Mother's Day for you all Happy out there. Mother's you mothers Day. out there. Uh, you all have a wonderful day, um, and we look forward to talking to you all next week. All right.